Welcome back, spotters. I'm Associate Professor Alvin Chong, Specialist Dermatologist at St. Vincent's Hospital Melbourne, Skin Health Institute, and an academic at the University of Melbourne. I'm the producer and sometimes co-host of the Spot Diagnosis podcast. We're going to introduce a new section on spot diagnosis today. As you know, we have been dealing with big diseases such as eczema, psoriasis, melanoma, and scabies. And whilst these have been very popular, we've also had feedback that listeners would be interested in how they can manage commonly encountered but smaller clinical scenarios. Hence, the spot diagnosis team, always responsive, have created vignettes in dermatology, and you're listening to the first one now. We do take your feedback seriously. Now, I would like to welcome a new voice to our podcast, our new co-host, Dr. Laxmi Iyengar. Laxmi, can you tell us a bit about yourself, please? Thanks for having me here, Alvin. It's an absolute pleasure to co-host this podcast with you after listening to Spot Diagnosis for all these years. I'm currently a research, clinical and education fellow at the Skin Health Institute, as well as the GP registrar. Medicine is actually my second career. I worked as a researcher for many years, having completed a PhD on intracellular signaling pathways and cell proliferation, as well as a postdoc in the UK on adult stem cells. I then embarked on a medical career, now almost completed GP training. Last year, I was one for approximately 20 registrars awarded an RACGP academic post, which I completed at Monash University, and I was selected as the Australian Journal of General Practice Editorial Fellow for 2022, which was very exciting, and now the co-host of Spot Diagnosis. Welcome, Laxmi. I hope you find this a very stimulating and exciting experience. Now, today, we would like to talk about two diseases that are semi-related in that they have the word pityriasis in them. Both are common, but they are completely, totally different. These two diseases are pityriasis rosea and pityriasis vesicula. Gee, medicine is full of odd words, but what does the word pityriasis mean? I'm glad you asked, Laxmi, and I knew you were going to ask that question, so I did a bit of research on the internet. And according to the Collins Australian English Dictionary, pityriasis refers to, one, any of a group of skin diseases characterized by the shedding of dry flakes of skin, and two, a similar skin disease of certain domestic animals. So apparently you can get pityriasis affecting horse hooves as well. If you go back to the origin of the word, it's from Greek pityriasis, means scurfiness, again from pityron, which is bran, bran which is a type of food. So like many dermatological things, it's named after a type of food. Okay then, thanks for setting the tone. So let's talk about a patient I've seen recently. A 25-year-old female who initially presented for review with coryzal symptoms, mild cough, mild headache and lethargy consistent with a viral upper respiratory tract infection. That resolved after a few days of conservative management. However, two weeks later, she presented for review of a new lesion on her chest. It was an oval erythematous lesion approximately 2 by 3 centimetres, slightly raised, slightly scaly, particularly at the edges, and slightly itchy but not painful, and we decided to monitor this lesion. A few weeks later, she re-presented, this time with numerous smaller oval patches on her chest and an itch that really bothered the patient. Alvin, would you agree these symptoms could be in keeping with pityriasis rosea? Yes, you've just described a fairly classical case of pityriasis rosea. 
So let's go back and unpick why I think that's the case. Pityriasis rosea often starts with a non-specific upper respiratory tract infection, followed a couple of weeks later by the development of a solitary patch of the skin. It's called a herald patch. Do you know why it's called herald? No. Because a herald basically announces that something bigger is coming. So the herald patch comes up first, and then two weeks later, you get this widespread cutaneous eruption, which is the second rash of pityriasis rosea. This rash tends to be very itchy, and it can be truncal first, and then it spreads to the limbs. There is another thing that we look for called the collarettes of scale. Do you know what a collarette of scale is? No, I'm not sure. If you can imagine that the individual lesions of pityriasis rosea are flat and scaly, within the rim, you have a little rim of scale, like a collar. And so that's called a collarette of scale. It's not always present, but when you see it, it is almost pathognomonic of pityriasis rosea. It is also often described as being in a Christmas tree or fir tree distribution, and it starts centrally and then moves outwards to the limbs. It may be itchy. In fact, very often it's itchy, and they often follow skin tension lines. What causes pityriasis rosea? This is one of those great mysteries in dermatology. There are many, many things which are thought to potentially trigger off pityriasis rosea. Viral infections, particularly the human herpes virus 6 or 7, certain medications, and even vaccinations. But no one can actually pinpoint what the exact cause of pityriasis rosea is. In fact, it's thought to be a type of reaction pattern that can develop in reaction to many things. What are the differential diagnoses? Pityriasis rosea, when it is fairly classical, has a pretty small differential diagnosis. But the ones that we think about the most are guttate psoriasis, discoid eczema, sometimes tinea corporis or eczema. But let's talk about guttate psoriasis first. So guttate psoriasis is most similar to pityriasis rosea in that it can occur a couple of weeks after the development of a streptococcal sore throat. The difference is that you don't get a herald patch. And the second thing is the rash is quite different in appearance. Guttate psoriasis is explosive. Your patients often get completely covered with a very deep red scaly eruption, which is much scalier and much redder than the pityriasis rosea rash. Discoid eczema is the other differential diagnosis, but usually patients have pre-existing eczema, and the discoid eczema is not quite as numerous as pityriasis rosea and much, much itchier. And lastly, tinea corporis. Tinea corporis is quite rare. If it's very widespread, would need to be neglected for a long period of time, but it can present with annular lesions and they tend to be much itchier. How do you make the diagnosis? Usually you make the diagnosis on history and examination. It's a clinical diagnosis, but very occasionally I've had to do a biopsy to confirm the diagnosis. And the biopsy shows features of spongiosis and a non-specific lymphohistiocytic infiltrate. My patient was beside herself with itch. Alvin, what are the treatment options for her? Well, let's keep in mind that pityriasis rosea is a self-limiting disease in most cases. They tend to resolve in six to eight weeks. So in the mildest of cases, if the patient is not that symptomatic or things are signed to resolve already, you can very safely do nothing. So the general measures in this case would be to use a topical emollient, perhaps gentle sun exposure, 
Now, if a patient comes with severe itch or the beginning of the disease and it's very extensive and distressed by it, then we can use medium potency topical steroids such as bethamethasone valerate cream or ointment once or twice a day. We can consider antihistamines orally to help with the itch. And occasionally, if they are able to, or if you have access to a dermatologist, narrowband UVB phototherapy can be used as an adjunctive treatment. It actually helps resolve the pityriasis rosea much faster if you use phototherapy. And in most severe cases, you can use oral corticosteroids, prednisolone, 15 to 20 milligrams a day, tapering over four weeks. What did you do for your patient? Alvin, as you mentioned earlier, I reassured her that it was a benign condition, likely secondary to her viral upper respiratory tract infection a few weeks ago. I recommended that she avoid fragrance products that may irritate her skin and suggested regular twice-daily use of a gentle emollient such as QV moisturiser. I suggested use of an antihistamine such as loratadine 10 milligrams daily to assist with control of itch and prescribed a medium-potency corticosteroid, methylprednisolone acepinate ointment, 0.1% daily to affected areas on her body for up to two weeks. Alvin, can it reoccur? That's a good question. We're taught in medical school that it doesn't reoccur, but when you look in the literature, it's a little bit less black and white. Reoccurrence can occur in between 8 and 25% of cases. Any last words on pityriasis rosea? I love pityriasis rosea. This is a a rash that you can diagnose on history, so it's extremely clinical. Uh, It is also the first dermatological condition I diagnosed as a medical student on a friend of mine who is now an oncologist. So it is a benign condition, quite easy to diagnose, quite easy to treat, and uh, self-limited. So it ticks all the boxes for me. The big clue is this. If it keeps recurring, you have to think about other diagnoses. And the main one is gut psoriasis because it can keep recurring every time you get a streptococcal throat infection. Ever wondered what the Skin Health Institute does? At the Skin Health Institute based in Melbourne, we aim to improve skin health for all our patients and the research we conduct shapes clinical treatment and practice. We provide over 30,000 patient treatments each year and also deliver exceptional education programs for dermatologists, registrars and healthcare workers. We provide specialist training for visiting international medical graduates, workshops to upskill GPs and medical students, and public education programs aimed at improving skin health in the community. The Institute also conducts clinical trials and research projects that are published and presented internationally. We make substantial contributions to the worldwide clinical care and management of skin diseases, skin cancer, and melanoma, and are recognized globally for our medical research. We have multiple clinics for GPs to directly refer patients to. GPs can complete our online referral form available on our website at skinhealthinstitute.org.au slash patientreferrals or email referrals to referrals at skinhealthinstitute.org.au. All right, let's talk about pityriasis vesicular. I'm going to present two cases. The first is a 30-year-old patient of mine of Greek heritage with olive skin, recently returned from his honeymoon in Bali. And the poor chap presented to me looking quite disturbed with pearl patches of skin that were prominent on his back. The second is a 20-year-old female 
Anglo-Australian personal trainer who presents with a red rash on her chest and upper back for 12 months, which tends to get a lot worse in the summer months. She's tried using topical steroids, moisturisers, but nothing is helping. All right, let's be detectives here. Can we talk about your first patient with the white patches? Laxmi, where are the patches? Upper back and chest. Are they itchy? No. And when you gently scrape the surface of the white patches, what happens? You see a fine white scale. Okay, so that's your your patient with the pale patches. Now let's talk about your female personal trainer. Again, is the rash itchy? Very slightly. And what colour is the rash? Slight pale pink, not red. Okay, and what happens when you scratch the surface? Fine white scale. All right, so believe it or not, spotters, these two rashes are describing the same problem, which is pityriasis vesicular. You already know what pityriasis stands for, which is fine scale, right? Vesicular means changeable in color. So let's explore why this rash is pale and depigmented on the olive-skinned gentleman and pink on the white-skinned patient. Firstly, do you know what pityriasis vesicular is also known as? Tinea vesicular? Yes, so tinea vesicular, pityriasis vesicular, it describes the same disease, which is a type of yeast infection of the skin. All right, so Laxmi, can you tell us a bit about the organism that causes this disease? The commensal yeast, Malassezia furfur, also known as pityrosporum ovale, which converts to the pathogenic filamentous form and overgrows when conditions are right, the sweat, warmth, and oils. And this overgrowth causes the pale pink scaly appearance on fair skin. So can you explain why it causes pale patches on olive skin? The theories proposed include that the products of lipid metabolism by malassezia, such as dicarboxylic acid, are thought to damage melanocytes and inhibit an enzyme called tyrosinase, which is required for melanin production. So in my Greek patient, when he went to Bali and spent time in the sun, the unaffected areas of skin became brown, whilst the areas affected with malassezia remained pale. So how do you make the diagnosis? So usually it's a clinical diagnosis, and it can be quite easy if the clinical scenario is classic. So an olive skin patient comes back from a sunny holiday with pale patches all over their back. But sometimes it can be tricky, and in those cases, I can do a skin scraping using a scalpel, scrape the flakes of skin onto a glass slide, fix it with some potassium hydroxide and look under a light microscope. And in uh, pityriasis vesicular, what you can see are spaghetti and meatballs under light microscopy. The spaghetti refers to short-chain hyphae and the meatballs refer to spores. I don't know what it is about dermatology, but we seem to be really obsessed about food. Another tip, you can't culture Milesthesia furfur. So can only look under the microscope. If you send it for culture, nothing will grow. Alvin, what is the differential diagnosis? So it really depends on the type. So if we look at the pale white bits on olive skin, that's a white pityriasis vesicular, the differential diagnosis includes post-inflammatory hypopigmentation that can occur with any inflammatory disease. The other is vitiligo. Now, vitiligo is characterized by depigmentation of the skin. I tend to use a wood slab to make sure that it is normal skin color rather than depigmented. And the other thing, vitiligo tends to be uh, much more prominent on acral surfaces and sometimes on facial skin. 
for the red, pale pink pityriasis vesicular affecting white skin. The differential diagnosis is broader, but you can think about atopic eczema, but that tends to be a lot itchier and less discreet and more diffuse. Same with psoriasis. Psoriasis tends to be extensive surfaces and much more thicker scale, much redder, and rarely tinea corporis. How do you treat pityriasis vesicular? So to treat pityriasis vesicular, we have to think about treatment in two phases. The first phase is to try to reduce the amount of yeast on the skin. And the second phase is maintenance because this yeast will regrow with time. Now, the great news is this. Pityriasis vesicular is caused by the most feeble organism around. It is so feeble, you can kill it with a shampoo. But it is impossible to completely eliminate, so it will always regrow again. So how do you reduce this yeast on the skin? If a patient has a mild infection, I would use a shampoo such as ketoconazole 1% or 2% shampoo, trade name Nizoral, or selenium sulfide 2.5% shampoo, that is Celsin yellow. The patient applies it from neck to the knees, leaves it for about 5 to 10 minutes, and then washes it off in the shower, using the shampoo to wash the hair as well. I'll get the patient to do it for five consecutive days, and that is probably enough to complete phase one, which is to cut the amount of yeast on the skin. For maintenance, I'll get the patient to do the same thing, but only once every one to two weeks in the summer months, and maybe once every month in the winter months. And that will reduce the amount of yeast as they regrow. What if the infection is very widespread? Okay, and we do have scenarios with very widespread or very treatment-resistant infections, such as in immunosuppressed patients. Here, I would use the topical treatment like I've just described, but in combination with a systemic anti-yeast agent. And these include itraconazole, 200 milligrams a day for seven days, or fluconazole, 150 to 300 milligrams weekly for two to four weeks. Just keep in mind that tabinafin doesn't work on pityriasis vesicolor, and I tend to avoid oral ketoconazole because of hepatotoxicity. And just keep in mind also that azoles interact with a lot of medications, so you have to just be sure that there are no nasty drug interactions that can occur. My Greek patient did that and came back a few weeks later saying that his pale spots are still there. What happened? So just reassure him that he has done all the right things. The pale spots are actually, uh, once you've done the treatment, they are no longer caused by the yeast, but they are not tanned. So just reassure the patient that the infection is gone, but the pale spots need to be re-exposed to sunlight to repigment again. Any last thoughts on pityriasis vesicular? Yes. This is a disease of young, healthy people. It is something in the makeup of a young, healthy person's sweat and sebum that makes it irresistible to the growth of this yeast. It is endemic in many parts of the tropics. And even though it may look a bit unsightly, it is actually a disease of very low morbidity and not something that patients need to be too worried about. That concludes our short clinical vignettes on pityriasis rosea and pityriasis vesicular, and I hope you enjoyed it and gained some further insights. I would like to also thank the education team at the Skin Health Institute and Balloon Tree Productions. Remember, these podcasts are not meant to replace medical advice. 
If you have a skin condition that requires attention, we strongly encourage you to see your medical practitioner. For listeners who want more information on this subject, a transcript of this episode and links to other resources can be found on our website, spotdiagnosis.org.au. Please share Spot Diagnosis with your friends and colleagues. Rate and review us. Let us know what you think. We would really appreciate your feedback and any suggestions. Also, just to remind you that Spot Diagnosis Clinical Vignettes is eligible for RACGP and ACRAM CPD. Thanks for listening. The Skin Health Institute would like to thank our exclusive institute partner, Melbourne Pathology, for their support of the Spot Diagnosis podcast.